Hey, y'all, just a quick heads up. The episode you're about to listen to is eight to 10 years old. Now, these episodes were intended to be evergreen, and I still believe there's a lot of good information in these early episodes, but I do want to let you know that some of my ideas have evolved over time. Times have changed since we made these episodes, and ultimately, I'd like to think I've grown a lot as an artist and a human and that these don't necessarily represent my best work or the best of the podcast. If you're new around here, I suggest starting with the most recent episode or at least go back to around 300 and move forward from there. Enjoy the episode. Hey, everybody, you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk Podcast. This show is about commercial art, striking a balance between making a good living and making great art. I'm your host, Andy J. Miller. Our syndicate is Illustration Age. You can find this show on illustrationage.com slash creative pep talk, on soundcloud.com slash creative pep talk, creative pep talk on iTunes, creative pep talk all over the place. You can find it all over the place. really needed to rehaul my website. I was talking to some web people, looking around, and I got intrigued by Squarespace's new fluid engine, partially because it just sounds cool, but also because it allows you to drag and resize and layer up anything you can imagine. I dove in, rebuilt my site. It's the most me site that I've ever had. I just absolutely love it. Launched it. Got such a great response. Some industry illustration and designy peers even reached out and was like, hey, who coded this thing, man? I'm like, y'all, I did it by myself. No coding with Squarespace's new Fluid Engine. I told him, like, you should go check it out. You're going to be surprised with what you can do. And I built this thing before Squarespace reached out to sponsor the show. So I was like, boom, easy peasy. I was going to tell you about this new site. Anyway, go check it out, AndyJPizza.com, if you want to see what I did with it. If you want to try it yourself, make a site that's totally you where you can build a portfolio, sell content and courses and all kinds of other stuff, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with promo code PEPTALK, all one word, all uppercase. This episode is supported by In The Making, an original podcast brought to you by Adobe Express, the all-in-one content creation app included in your Creative Cloud membership. If you are trying to boost the YouTube, TikTok, Reels content side of what you're doing, one episode of In The Making that I think will be super useful to you is their episode with John Yushai. I think John's method for including his audience in the process is really inspiring. And if you want to hear about that and more about leveling up your game in the creator economy, just search In The Making in your podcast player to listen. Many thanks to In The Making and Adobe Express for their support. Yo, today on the show, it's a little bit different. We're going to just be 
Oh, I am. I'm going to be answering some of your questions that you sent me via Twitter. Uh, We're going to talk about art reps, partnering with somebody to help you get opportunities, whether you're a musician and it's a record label or you're an illustrator and it's an art rep. We're going to talk about some of my ideas about what that looks like in today's world. Then we're going to talk about maintaining artistic voice as you grow. And then lastly, we're going to top it all off with, uh, what are we going to talk about? It's, oh, self-doubt imposter syndrome, worrying about whether you've got what it takes or whether you deserve what you've got, all that jazz we're going to talk about. Dive in, and I'm going to try to encourage you in those areas. First things first, we're doing a question-answer show. I'm really, really pumped about this. I've been wanting to do this for a long time. I asked for some... uh, questions via Twitter, you can go to my Twitter at AndyJPizza, at AndyJPizza, and ask questions anytime, and I'll put them in the bank. So, I've got some questions here that I want to answer. We'll start with Jay Longo, at Jay Longo. He asked, reps, do they hold the gateway to better gigs? If not, how to get the same opportunities? How do you get those opportunities without them? So, I'm going to just answer that first part because I have so much to say about the idea of someone coming alongside your art business and giving you opportunities and, you know, making you kind of get to places you can only dream of without them. And I think, I think we need to have a giant shift as artists in our perception of how we see these business partners. I think the old way of seeing these things was kind of like uh, an ant colony where the artist is the queen ant sitting on the throne, plopping out those art eggs, you know, the powerful, the, the important stuff sat on the throne and, and the workers, the little art reps go out and find us food and bring it to us, bring us those jobs. I don't, that ant, that ant, Ology, analogy, analogy. I almost did a weird pun thing. Uh, that maybe breaks down quickly, but I think we think that art reps have this ability or this power to be the fairy godmothers of the art world where they recognize this amazing talent in us and then they go out into the world and they make us famous and they give us these dream jobs and they drum up all this work. And the truth is, that it just doesn't work like that anymore. You know, we have these ideas of like, you know, Andy Warhol walking along, sees this homeless painter, Basquiat, and then overnight gives him a studio and supplies and all this stuff, and now he's a world-famous artist, and we have this giant rags-to-riches overnight success thing. And I think in a lot of ways, we think that art reps could do that for us if only the art rep... If only the right art rep could see our work and and notice that special talent and just go out there and communicate it to the masses, everything would be different. I think we think of it like we're some street musician playing our tunes, playing our hearts out, and just maybe one day that giant record label exec will walk around and say, that's the new sound, that's the sound we're looking for. Next thing you know, we're in the studio. Two days later, we're on the radio, and now we've got a mansion in LA, right? Like, I think that we kind of think like this. We think that this is the way it works. And, you know, those stories are exciting and interesting. And maybe 30 years ago, it did kind of look like that. I don't think it looks anything like that anymore. I think now we're in a completely different season. 
And you know, I've I I have talked. I've had a rep. I've had an illustration agent, and uh, I've talked to loads of reps. And honestly, although I don't think there's been any really dramatic uh, differences in the way that the, these reps exist. I think they all seem very, very aware that the value that they used to bring, which is bringing new projects in, bringing money in, all of that stuff is kind of gone. Like that's not the power that they hold any longer, even though that's what a lot of artists think they do, even artists that they represent. I think we need to really, really shift our perceptions of how this all works. And I think it goes back to the way that we see marketing, marketing ourselves, because we don't market ourselves directly anymore. That's not, you know, it's not going to work like that anymore. Like you don't have any bands that you listen to that anybody marketed to you. Like it wasn't, they didn't drop a mailer in your mailbox and you're like, that's my new favorite band. Or, you know, we rarely even trust our friends' music taste. Like 99% of the time we're finding it, uh, we, we feel like we found it on our own. We have that moment of discovery. It's like part of the listener, the listening process is like finding something randomly uh, on Spotify Discover. Like, we want to discover things. And so do art directors. So do people that hire um, and buy the art. They want to have that discovery moment. And so it looks really different. And, and if I'm honest, I think the best type of marketing is making great value, making projects for yourself, uh, you know, on your own, making things happening, gaining attention by making remarkable work. And as that kind of attention grows and you get lots of fans of what you're doing, you have that social proof, then all of a sudden people know that you've got something going on and they're willing to pay you for it. They're willing to give you jobs. They, you know, they can indirectly discover what you're doing. And that's kind of what marketing looks like today. And so I think we need to really, really shift our perspective. We need to shift our perspective from that old, like, you know, this guy's going to come along, this gatekeeper of the record label or the 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 rep, and they're going to come along and they're going to say, this person's got great talent. I'm going to go uh, show them to the world. Instead, think I'm going to make I'm going to make great stuff that people want to remark on, that people want to share. And as I start to gain critical mass. Once I'm really doing fantastic, I can think about not an art rep hiring me, but me hiring an art rep to help take over the sides of the business that I don't thrive in. You know, the business side, the negotiations, the invoicing, some of the, that, that kind of stuff. Now, now that you're at critical mass and you're doing great, now it's kind of like hiring an employee to take over the sides of the business that are distracting, that are not your strengths, that you want to get rid of now. And so I really think it's a dramatic shift from they're the key to my business thriving to once my business is thriving, they're the key, they're the key to taking me to the next level. They're the key for me to focus on what really counts. Um, and it's a really kind of upside down view from what it used to be. And so I think that's the best way to think about reps nowadays. And I actually think the reps that are doing the best work really, really have owned this and they're playing to this and they see themselves maybe more like business managers. And there there are some out there that are doing that and it's fantastic. But I, I think if the, the old way of thinking needs to be uh, dead on both 
the artist side and the side of the um, the established agencies and record labels. And I think if we both play into what the strengths of both sides are, we'll see those business partnerships being really valuable um, for both sides. So that's what I have to say about that, Jay Longo. Thank you for listening to the show. Thank you for asking a question. I hope that that answered it. So the next question comes from Sheena Dempsey at Sheena Dempsey on Twitter. She asks, how do you keep your work evolving for decades while retaining your own voice? And so this is a question I think about artistic voice and what what works and what doesn't, Um, you know, why we see some bands or artists kind of flop when their artistic voice gets compromised and really I think it all goes back to this idea of authenticity. I think that's what people are looking for. I don't think there is a one size fits all like you should always be dramatically innovating or you should stick to your strengths and never, you know, kind of go beyond that. Uh, I think if you look at it in terms of music, there's a lot to learn here. Really, I think it comes down to trust. You know, when you're when people are mixing anything with money, if you're mixing art with money, people need to trust. Businesses need to build trust. That's how you get returning customers. And if you know anything about business, you know that businesses are built on repeat custom. Like you, you're, uh, I, I don't know if this is accurate, but on The Office, uh, Ryan teaches Michael. Ryan's at business school and he asks Michael, uh, you know, is it better to uh, get repeat work from the same customers or sign on a new customer? I don't remember what he says, but he says something like, it's actually 13 times cheaper to get more work from the same customers. And in order to do that, you know, once you've converted a fan of your band and you want them to buy the next album, you have to be trustworthy. Now, the thing is, you can build trustworthiness with authenticity. It doesn't have to be a consistency in style. It really just has to be true to who you are. They want to believe that you're not a phony or a poser. They want to believe that you're not doing things for the wrong motives. I think some examples of bands that do things completely differently, but both really in an authentic voice that have great, you know, cult following is Beach House and Radiohead. I always go back to these two people. So Beach House, what's authentic for them is to make this one style of music and just barely inch forward in their growth. But every time you get a Beach House record, you know, like I know I'm going to get that record and I'm going to play it like crazy and it's going to make the atmosphere of my house be very, you know, fuzzy and nice and warm and kind of like washed in that sound. And I know that I'm going to get that every single time I buy theirs. And I know that it's just going to be like an update on what they do. And so it's going to be like, oh, a fresh batch of music that I know I'm going to like, that I know is going to make me feel a certain way. And it's going to come with, you know, just some freshness. And I'm, and I'm loving that. And I know that that's who they are and that's what they do. And I can trust them to do that. On the flip side, you have Radiohead. Radiohead change it up every single time, but by changing it up every single time, they're they're creating that consistent consistency. The only consistency there is that it's always different, but you can trust that from them. You can trust them to innovate. And so if that's what you're looking for in a record, you know that every time they put something out, they're going to do that. And you also know 
um, it tells them tells you something about their artistry. It tells you something about who they are as artists, and you and it gives you a sense of like, oh, that that's who they are. When when a band or an artist comes out of left field with something really, really unexpected um, and and kind of out of nowhere, I think we get really suspicious. I think you. When you can't see, when you can't connect the dots, you can't see how the story evolved, um, you start filling in the gaps with kind of uh, negativity. You think, man, where does this come from? Like, is this coming from a bad place? Is this coming from a money-grabbing place? Is, you know, are they unhappy with who they are? And if they're unhappy with who they are, then maybe I shouldn't be that into them. I think there's all kinds of reasons uh, for why you know, when there's that lapse in artistic growth or, or, um, there, you know, they, they kind of break your trust. Uh, you start questioning, like, mm, I don't know if I really like this thing. Now, on the flip side of that, I want to kind of push this into a more nuanced discussion. Recently, I was listening to Seth Godin, uh, on an episode of, the, the radio show On Being with Krista Tippett, I think her name is. And he was talking about how, you know what? You can hear that dog in the background. How about that? Dogs, shut up. You're driving me bonkers. Um, but, but we're dealing with it. This is the real time, the real stuff. Um, I'm too, too in the zone to uh, stop and wait for them to shut up. I'm going with it. So Seth Godin talks about how, you know, we actually need that artistic growth. We need that authentic uh, obsession with curiosity. Like the the non-curious artist, it gets really old and not interesting. Like we're not talking about the monkeys anymore. That's what he says. He says you've got the monkeys versus Bob Dylan. Like Bob Dylan's still selling those giant tickets. And the monkeys, although they had that like explosive period of time, they never changed it up. They never followed their curiosities and they never pushed it forward. So we're not talking about them anymore. Now, Bob Dylan, right? He, he followed that curiosity and it led him to places where it, it created this career that was peaks and valleys. So he had these parts where he gained momentum with the thing he was doing. It was working. It was, it was growing and he gained a fan base. But then he authentically had to listen to that next time. He picks up an electric guitar, makes a lot of people angry, loses a lot of fans, goes down to the valley. And then he goes and builds that up and does it all over again. And he never stops being authentic to that voice that tells them to push forward. Now, the monkeys might have had that a more explosive moment. And I think in art, we see this all the time. We see people who, you know, have this extremely consistent style, extremely consistent, uh, you know, market and niche and all that. And they just happen to be at the right place at the right time. They explode and everybody wants what they're doing, that brand of what they're doing. But I think the problem with that is it has this explosive moment, but then once everybody's seen it and they've ate it and they've digested it and they're done with it, then that person falls off the face of the earth. And if they keep just doing the same thing that they've always done, the career's over because nobody wants that thing anymore. So that has this like line graph that goes super high up, explodes, and then drops off, and then it's gone. Whereas the Bob Dylan has this ups and downs, ups and downs, but it's for the long haul. So if you're going to do the same thing over and over again, not only, okay, yeah, you might have, um, you might be able to have a more explosive moment, but 
A, it's going to be short-lived. B, it's riskier because you might not ever have that moment. Like, in, that, those moments are really, really rare when you happen to be kind of on the zeitgeist of taste. Whereas, I believe if you're always following that curiosity, you're always trying to grow, at any given point, it might not look as good as the person that's done it the same way as they've always done it and are going to keep doing it that way. It might never look as clean. It might always seem a little bit more human, more sloppy, messier. But over time, I think the dividends pay off longer and you go further and um, there's just more to gain. And, and you're more likely to see off see payoffs when you're constantly iterating, constantly trying new things, constantly trying to um, strike a better balance of demand in the market and creative fulfillment. Now, last question. We had Mandy Ford, a big listener uh, and lover of the CPT. We love Mandy. Thank you, Mandy, for all the support and encouragement and sharing and and interactions and all that stuff. Thank you, Mandy. Uh, You can find her at at Mandy Ford Art on Twitter. She asks about imposter syndrome. She asks about the down periods after you get a big break and then questioning do I really deserve it? Are they going to find out that I'm an imposter? Are they going to find out that I actually suck? And you know what? People like Tom Hanks deal with this. You know, like Tom Hanks, there's no question in anyone's mind that he is as legit as it comes in terms of in terms of actors. And so we have to ask ourselves, if this imposter syndrome, if this feeling like a phony, a poser, you know, feeling like you're going to get found out or feeling like you're not really legit. You're not a real artist. You're not doing what others are doing. Um, We have to ask ourselves, where is this coming from and does it serve us? And if it doesn't serve our goals and it doesn't serve us as, as artists, how do we distance ourselves from it? How do we get rid of it? How do we attack it back? Because it's going to attack. So if you've ever dealt with this self-doubt of, am I any good? Do I really deserve anything that I've got? Um, are people going to eventually find me out and then kind of witch hunt me out of the industry? This answer is for you. So first and foremost, here's where I think that kind of comes from. I think it kind of comes from uh, people at the top worried about people at the bottom stealing what they have and perpetuating lies that benefit them. Okay, I'm going to kind of unpack that a little bit with a little story back in the day. Uh, I used to, uh, when I was a young little boy, like maybe four years old, my older brother, who's three years older than me, um, we would be sat at the table eating and we'd be eating something that uh, like doesn't have any fat on it. So, you know, with meat, like if you have a steak, you might have a part of it that's like pure fat and you don't want to eat that. And for whatever reason, I was like, frightened that I would eat fat on accident and you're not supposed to do that. I don't I don't know why. But we would be eating something that has no fat on it and I would tell my brother I would say, "Uh could you t- Josh, could you tell me like uh if if there's fat on this thing?" and he'd be like, "Oh yeah, you better let me check that out." And then he would eat it and then be like, "Um oh, yeah, like half of this thing is fat." And he would eat 
um, a bunch of it, knowing that it wasn't fat, but using that power, that, that, that mental knowledge that he had over me against me for his own benefit. And I think that, um, he'd be like, yeah, you don't want any of this. This is, yeah, this is all fat. I'll eat that for you. I think that there's a lot of people in the industry in creative industries that perpetuate out of fear of, of having what they either their own insecurities or, or, uh, you know, wanting to keep the goods for themselves. They perpetuate things that maybe aren't true that make us feel insecure. So for instance, I think you get a lot of people at the top that talk about how, you know, they have no influences. Nothing's ever influenced their art and they've always been hyper original. And I think it makes everyone else feel like, well, I know that I'm influenced by people and I know I'm not hyper innovative original. So therefore, I'm an imposter. But the truth is, you know, the people that are honest, the people at the top that are really honest about their path, like almost everybody I've ever heard says that, you know, at the beginning, I wasn't much better than this kind of ripoff or this. I was very, you know, I was probably really too much influenced by this person at the time. And yeah, I grew and I got into other stuff and I experimented and I found my own voice. But the truth is that Everybody comes from humble beginnings. Everybody has to grow. And, you know, nobody is born out of the box perfect with all the knowledge. And because we're aware of our own shortcomings, our own failures, you know, our the own the ways where we started off wrong and we had to correct it and it took tons of hard work to get where we are, we're so in tune with those parts of our story that it makes us feel like we're phonies. We never outgrow, even as our skills and our, you know, artistry grow and our craft grow, our self-confidence often doesn't catch up. And I think part of the reason that is, is that the people at the top want to create those moats around what they're doing to keep people out. And I get it, you know, like, they're making their living off this stuff. And so they have a reason to stay competitive and, you know, throw off the competition. And, you know, maybe some of that's not all bad. But I think part of that comes from those kind of perpetuating false narratives. We have false narratives in our industries about where creative creativity comes from and talent and all this stuff. And it keeps us feeling, the people at the bottom, it keeps uh, them not doing the work and not going further and questioning whether they deserve things. Then I think beyond that, I think beyond that, I believe that maybe there's even something deeper and weirder at play. And uh, we don't have to get into the specifics of that. But if you go to that, you know, classic book, the, uh, the War of Art by Stephen Pressfield, he's constantly talking about this idea of the resistance, the thing, the force in the universe that is trying to keep you from making the work that you were meant to make, the things that try to keep you from sitting down and actually doing the stuff. And honestly, like right at this moment, I am having a freaking blast recording this podcast, but all morning, everything in me is like, don't record it, man. Like, don't, don't sit. Oh, you don't want to sit down and do it. Five minutes in, I'm like, this is the thing I want to do more than anything in the world. And so we have to have the discipline to show up day after day while the resistance is throwing lies at us, telling us we suck, telling us we're no good, telling us we're imposters, telling telling you that, oh, you're not original, I know where all this stuff came from, telling you that you'll never amount to anything and that you don't have the natural talent. All of that is the 
the anti-growth mindset. And if you go back to the episode, I think it's 71, it's called Hard Work is Greater Than Talent. Like we know that you've got to put the 10,000 hours in. You've got to believe that you can become the type of person that deserves this stuff. And so whether you deserve it or not now, it doesn't matter. And everybody has ups and downs and failures and everybody's done it wrong before. And even your heroes made giant mistakes, whether they're willing to admit it or not. And so when that voice comes, you know, this is something that, something I've been thinking about a lot is like, it used to be that when that voice would try to stop me from drawing a picture, uh, I was the only one that really got hurt from listening to it. And so I never, I didn't feel bad about listening to it. You know, I didn't feel like it was wrong to indulge the resistance or indulge that imposter syndrome idea. I just thought, you know what? If I don't draw a picture, the only person that's going to hurt is me. And so I just give in. I'm going to give in to it. And I'm like, yeah, I do suck. I'm not doing it. Nowadays, though, now that I'm a lot further down the path, I've realized that when I listen to that voice and I let it steal my time to spend making the work that I have given my life to, it doesn't just hurt me. It actually hurts other people. Like, what about the episodes that I I didn't want to do because I thought, who am I to talk about this? Who am I to say, here's some tips for your creative career? When I have my own challenges, I still have challenges in my own creative career. I still have things that aren't working yet, but I, but I know that I've learned some stuff and I know by sharing that stuff that I've really actually helped other people. And so now not only is it just bad for me or, you know, um, it's not neutral when I listen to that voice. If I listen to that voice and I quit making this stuff, it's actually wrong. It's actually, I'm stealing from other people. I'm, I'm not helping people that I could be helping. And so maybe the stakes seem really small for you right now. Like who cares if I make the stuff that I make? You don't know where following that path is going to lead you. You might end up making art one day that saves someone's life. And I really believe that. I don't think I've done that, but I'd love to think that maybe I'm on a trajectory where by the time I'm 70, I've made some stuff that has really resonated with people and changed their lives. And think if at some point I quit school or I gave up or I just got a random job because I couldn't deal with that gnawing voice that says, you're not good enough. Why are you doing this? You know, you're, you're, you're junk. Stop. And so you can't, you got to connect it to something deeper, not just, oh, well, it doesn't really matter if I make it. It, it, The only person that kind of might lose out is me. You don't know what this voice that's calling you forward, the thing that's saying you should be making this stuff, you don't know where that thing's going to lead and it might be really, really important. And so that's what I have to say about that. I I have to say this. It's not just... um, you know, it's not just wrong, these imposter syndrome feelings, and it's not just common, but it's actually, if you buy into it, you're actually stealing from other people's joy and experiences and life changes. And so when that voice comes along and says, you don't deserve it, I really do believe you have to stare right back at it and say, you know what? Shut up. I'm not going to go down that path today. I'm not going to allow you to steal three hours and, and make me feel terrible when I could be making new stuff and I could be pushing forward. You're going to make mistakes. You're, you don't have everything someone else has. All that's true. You're, you're going to fail. You're going to make the wrong choice. Who cares? That's all part of it. You're in the ring, and sometimes you get knocked out. That's all good. Uh, you you got to deal with it.
Okay, that's all I've got today. That's the answering questions episode. Uh, I, you know, I really enjoyed doing this. Let me know if you like this and we'll make it more of a uh, thing. We'll do it a little bit more often, maybe once a month, something like that. You tell me. I'm at Andy J Pizza on Instagram and Twitter. Go let me know what you thought of the show. Guys, when you guys share the show, it means a lot to me. We've grown in numbers like crazy because of you. If you um, haven't shared the show in a long time or you know you never have and you want to give me some love, give something back, it would mean a lot to me. Thank you guys for that. Also, last thing on the Patreon, guys, thank you guys so much for those of you that already back the show. If you can spare a few bucks a month, it all adds up, you know, um, even the difference between the people giving one and two dollars, that's like the more people that do that, the more it doubles the amount that I make on the show. And that really, really makes a difference to um, really just my guilt for for if you want to make me feel less guilty for spending so much time every week on the show um, and you want to see the show flourish and do even more and help even more people, go to patreon.com slash creative pep talk. Give a few bucks for 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 the for each episode. Thank you guys so much for all the love and support. It means the world to me. I kid you not. Thanks for listening to the Creative Pep Talk podcast. Thank you to Illustration Age for they are our proud syndicate. You can find the show on illustrationage.com slash creative pep talk. We love those guys. They are fantastic. They're doing amazing things for illustration. Thank you to Yoni Wolf and the band Y, one of my all-time favorite bands. They let us use their music for the theme music at the beginning, at the end. We love them. Thank you, Yoni. Uh, means so much to me. You don't know how big of a fan I am of your music. Thank you to my man, Nate Utesh, and his band, Metavari. That's all the other tunage. We Man, I've been listening to that stuff like crazy. Go check out Metavari. Really, really good. Almost mostly instrumental stuff. Really good to make art to. Um, go check that out and spread the word about them. They are fantastic. Thanks, Metavari. Guys, I hope that this effort really, really makes a difference in your creative career. I hope you start to strike a better balance between creative fulfillment and financially thriving. Until next time, do whatever it takes to stay pepped up.